At Taco Bell, we pride ourselves on being a disruptive brand that always aims to live moss in everything we do. That mentality doesn't stop at our craveable food. It's also present in our commitment to sustainability. But sometimes living moss involves less and we're working to make less of a footprint on our planet. Today, I'm actually thrilled to speak to the CEO of TerraCycle, Tom Sackey, a fellow disruptor who has reimagined what creativity and innovation can look like in the sustainability space. Our two companies have an exciting new partnership, so we're going to chat about hot sauce, recycling, and how sustainability really can be fun and, of course, impactful. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks for having me. This is really exciting. The fans can't see this, but I'm looking at you on, on a computer and just describe the environment that you're in right now, because I think it sets up the rest of the conversation. Absolutely. So you're uh, speaking to me from uh, Trent, New Jersey, which is where our global headquarters for TerraCycle are. And uh, we do operate in 20 countries around the world. But one of the unique things uh, that uh, makes all of our offices similar is our design aesthetic uh, prescribes that everything must be made from waste in all of our offices. So where I'm sitting, my walls are literally soda bottles. Uh, my uh, tables or all the tables in this office for hundreds of folks are all old doors. Uh, the carpet is remnant carpet from, uh, from styles and buildings that didn't want those materials and quite everything is covered uh, in, uh, in waste. Even our walls, as you may be able to see, are covered in graffiti. We're in a, a relatively tough part of uh, Trenton. And uh, so we invite all the graffiti artists to come and paint our buildings. It's gotten actually so big that the outside of our walls, uh, which is what this building is about 50,000 square feet, are repainted every week with uh, local artists who come by and uh, need a wall to paint on. Well, I can see it. I know the people listening can't, but it's, it's really amazing. So uh, congrats on that. Okay, so let's get started. So Tom... For all the people that don't know anything about TerraCycle, let's just start with what is TerraCycle? Absolutely. So TerraCycle is a mission-driven waste management company. Uh, and our goal uh, is to eliminate the idea of waste, not as much to manage it, but how do we solve for this concept of waste? And we do that today uh, in 20 countries as a for-profit, in two markets, uh, India and Thailand as a nonprofit organization. And we focus on, first and foremost, uh, like what we're doing together with Taco Bell, how do we collect and recycle those things that may not yet be locally uh, curbside or municipally recyclable? That could be everything from dirty diapers to even cigarette butts and chewing gum. Uh, we then focus on how do we help companies make their products using waste, uh, whether that's uh, ocean plastic into shampoo bottles and many other examples. And then from there, how do we help companies move uh, from disposable uh, to reusable uh, uh, systems where waste then just is cleaned and refreshed or repaired? Well, again, the, the people listening can't see us, but you and I both have on a bow tie made from recycled sauce packets, which we'll get to. How did you, because you, you started this company, is that right? Yeah, that's right. What was the inspiration back when you were a young kid that you would be into this type of business? Well, you know, so for me, the first part of the bug was the entrepreneurial bug. And I caught that at an early age, you know, 14, started my first company. But, you know, to be very fair to your question, I fell in love with entrepreneurship for selfish reasons. I thought it was a great path to fame and fortune. Uh, and, uh, you know, and for many it is. And I had this big turning point. Uh, the first year of university, um, the, one of the first classes I took uh, was Economics 101. And the professor gets up on stage and asks a really reasonable first question, which is, what's the purpose of business? And the answer she was looking for is maximize profit to shareholders. And it sort of took the wind out of my sails. It's not to say profit is bad. I think profit is critical, but I would you know, personally view it more as an indicator of health. 
right? If an organization is profitable, it means it's robust. It's going to grow. It will be around for a while, healthy. And if it's not profitable, it's the opposite. And it will at some point constrain and, uh, you know, uh, may not survive. But it's not the purpose, right? Isn't the purpose how an organization serves the environment or society or both and ideally makes the world better? And so that led me on a journey to think about uh, focusing on uh, uh, sort of mission-driven uh, uh, type of uh, solution where it was purpose first and could we achieve that purpose at a profit so we could then of course flourish uh, and grow and garbage became my fascination because for how big of a topic it is I mean just imagine everything we own with no exception will be property of a garbage company one day I mean, everything, you know, and uh, it's not just, you know, uh, a coffee cup or a, a snack wrapper. It's literally the walls of our home, you know, the floors we're standing on, the shoes on our feet and everything. And for how big of a concept that is, it's, um, it's uh, one of the least innovative industries per dollar of revenue. And partly because I think it's literally smelly, nasty, gross, and not metaphorically. I mean, it is quite right. literally uh, that. And so people are not attracted to it. So when you first started, though, Tom, based on that first class, was your first inspiration that you could do something good in the world or was it that you could make money or is it a combo of both? It, it's to be very fair to your question, both equally, right? I was, uh, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily purpose driving or, or economics, it's how to do purpose at a profit. And that's been our mantra all the way through. So if we have a it's why, why we started our nonprofit organization, because we found there's not everything we can do at a profit. And so that uh, became the vehicle for our nonprofit organization to take on. But if we can do purpose, purpose at a profit, we can scale it. We can make it long lasting. We can make it impactful. If we're doing purpose without a profit, it tends to be more passion based and, uh, and doesn't survive the test of constraint, you know, when budgets uh, may, may not be there, you know, because the economy is constrained or other uh, negative stimuli come on board. Interesting. So typically, how does it work? Where do you, where, how, do, you, do you work with companies? Do you just work out in, in the wilderness? Or where do you find these products to recycle and, and, and change their, their history? Absolutely. So the, the right thing, I think the way to answer your question is to take a step back and first define what makes, say, an aluminum can, you know, highly recyclable in our neighborhoods and what makes maybe something like a, a dirty diaper not recyclable. And it has to do with something unintuitive. It, it, in fact, it's not about can it be. Almost everything in the world can be recycled. It has to do entirely with can a garbage company make money doing the recycling? Because your local garbage company is not beholden you know, to recycling everything it can. It's just beholden to removing the material from your home and then it will recycle what it can at a profit. So aluminum and that aluminum can is valuable enough to cover all the costs of collection and processing. But in many materials, it, the economics aren't there at the moment. And so we, we look uh, uh, waste stream by waste stream, country by country for stakeholders, like for example, Taco Bell on, on uh, hot sauce packets to say, would you be open to helping us nationally recycle this waste stream by covering the costs of collecting it and processing it minus whatever we can sell the recycled output for? Wow. So th let's, let's just transition to that. We yes. now have a partnership between Taco Bell and TerraCycle. Talk a little bit about how that partnership uh, started, and then we'll get into exactly what are we going to do together. Yeah, absolutely. So first and, and foremost, typically, you know, we're the ones calling organizations, knocking on doors saying, hey, you know, we can help you do this. But on this one, I want to give full credit to Taco Bell for reaching out to us and saying, 
how do help us on how do we bring robust national recycling opportunities to uh, uh, the products that uh, that folks who enjoy Taco Bell consume, like hot sauce packets. Now, hot sauce packets can be recycled. You know, we uh, uh, will be launching together on uh, uh, September second a national solution which is free to consumers. And it just, you know, really required uh, uh, Taco Bell uh, 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 to say, look, I'm going to help take voluntary responsibility of this by funding the solution to make it free uh, to folks out there. Um, and so when the platform goes live, uh, anyone in the country uh, will be able to sign on for free. Uh, we provide free shipping uh, of all the sauce packets, hot sauce packets that you're able to collect, hopefully big quantities. Uh, and then we take those. Uh, and once we receive them, we shred them. We clean off any residual food content. And then uh, we're able to uh, recycle them into uh, plastic raw material, which then manufacturers can use to make new plastic products and effectively avoiding the need to take more oil out of the ground to make those products. So I saw, I saw this stat as I was preparing to have this conversation. Eight, actually I asked my wife last night, how many sauce packets do you think we go through in a year at Taco Bell? She started to do the math and she came up with like, you know, 8 million. And I said, well, it's close. It just happens to be 8 billion, not 8 million. So before you talk about what 8 billion sauce packets means, what does it mean if they're not recycled? Where do they go, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the vast majority, you know, are going to be uh, properly disposed and end up most likely if it's in the United States in landfills. Uh, in some regions of the United States, it may end up in incinerators that convert them to energy. And uh, unfortunately, some small percentage may be improperly disposed if someone is, you know, driving on a highway and litters them. That's where they uh, end up today. Now, I, I think the most important thing is how do we make sure that uh, they're all properly disposed? And then how can we elevate that disposal from uh, ending up in a, uh, in a landfill uh, or converted to energy, that we honor the material that they're made from. It's really high quality material that makes sauce packets. They're food grade, you know, they're able to uh, do a lot of things, become flexible. Those can be used to make a lot of other products. That's, I think, the entire idea of what we're uh, beginning together, sort of one small step at a time. Yeah, I, I know we have so many conversations internally, Tom, about how do we, how do we, take the good of, of Taco Bell, what we do good and how can we really do better and, and make the world a better place. And, and in this case around sustainability, and this is a big issue, 8 billion yes. sauce packets that I don't really know what that looks like physically, but it's gotta be a lot of them. Um, so we're really excited about working with you and, and the impact that we can have. But for those people who don't understand anything about manufacturing, how to just help somebody envision how a colored sauce pack yes. gets recycled and then becomes some other product. What, uh, what is that? How does that work? Absolutely. So, you know, when we look at waste, uh, we really look first and foremost at how can we deconstruct it. So the first part, because a sauce packet is always going to have some residual content on the inside. I know we always try to get every little amount out, but there's going to be a little bit uh, left as a coating, perhaps. So we take the packets, we shred them, which allows us to uh, be able to wash all the surfaces off. Uh, this is done uh, through large industrial systems. The water is recycled in, in that process. And that gets uh, uh, the material to become clean. From there, we uh, uh, make it into what we call a compounded plastic. That's sort of a fancy term of we blend it all together and out comes a plastic pellet. Uh, and that plastic pellet can then be used by manufacturers to make it into a whole range of things. You know, uh, they can be injection molded into things like Frisbees or watering cans. They can be extrusion molded. That's sort of like how one would make pasta into something like plastic lumber. And what's so important is all these products are being made today. 
uh, and they many times are being made from virgin plastic. So if they can now be made from recycled uh, uh, hot sauce packets, that's a huge improvement that is helping our environment, not only helping reduce waste in landfills, but also reducing the total amount of carbon emissions that we're putting out there. So recycling is both really important for, uh, for just the obvious, you know, solving for waste, but it's also important to mitigate climate change. So I really want to get to something maybe even bigger, Tom, and, 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 and that is this. Does all this really make a difference? I, I, I mean, can we as human beings trying to leave a lighter footprint or however you want to describe this, can we really impact the future of the world through these efforts that you're, and you're dedicating your life to this? I want to answer this in two ways, if I may, which is the answer is yes. But I think that people don't realize, individuals, uh, how powerful they really are in the ability to change uh, the world. You know, uh, many times, you know, you hear folks talking about, uh, you know, is that individual action going to mean anything? And the reality is today as individuals, we are repeatedly, daily, voting for the future we want with what we buy and also what we don't buy. You know, corporate, I imagine, you know, Taco Bell and, and just like anyone is, in, is, is trying to figure out what people want. And the real smart thinking is to figure out what someone wants that they don't yet know they want, you know, that new innovation, but no one is trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want. And our desires are voted on through purchase. And that then creates the future. And it's an incredibly powerful uh, vote that I think many of us don't understand we're making repeatedly and daily. So first and foremost, we can really change the world with, with uh, what we support and what we don't support. And that's not just in the act of purchase, but then how we act and do we take advantage of, uh, of sustainability opportunities? Like for example, we're launching this recycling program together. And I imagine if folks are gonna enjoy it and get behind it and use it, Taco Bell is gonna be excited to scale it. And if folks decide not to use it, then Taco Bell will probably say, well, that was a good effort, but let's think about another way uh, to you know, be more sustainable and think about what to do with this particular issue and other issues at large. So it's really in the individual's hands uh, and it's a really important uh, uh, responsibility to take up because that helps guide companies on what they should do. And it really is what happens anyway, whether folks realize it or not. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the theme that I got as I researched you personally, the work that you do, it actually starts with the individual, right? Yes. I mean, it's not, the question really isn't, can one person make a difference? The real question is, or the statement is, it starts with one person. And I think yes. that's the power of this. It is. And uh, it's also well beyond this one example, right? We've noticed this in many waste streams when one company begins, all the other competitors are watching. If consumers and individuals out there are voting by participating, then it sends a message to the industry. Yeah. And then everyone starts doing it. And suddenly we've made a change. It's sort of like yeah. today, have you noticed how you know, most chocolates or coffees are Rainforest Alliance certified? Or you know, once uh, 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 like electric cars started going, yeah, the whole industry is moving that mm -hmm. way. Or plant-based proteins, all these different things. It requires one brave actor to begin, then individuals to support it, and then that is really how we create these shifts. And you add a lot of these shifts together, the future, which may look pretty grim light now, gets a little bit brighter. That's, that's really inspiring. You know, we talk a lot, and the, the name of this podcast is Restless Creativity. And what role does creativity play for you and your organization and how you look at what you do every day? It's, it's critically, critically important because what has been the essence of, of what we do is think about 
things in a slightly different perspective and to think about how do we adjust and you know the, the, the term disrupt is used a lot but you know sort yeah. of disrupt the system but to do that in the way that feels like the least amount of change you know uh, mm-hmm. possible i think one of the challenges in the sustainability movement overall is that it's complex and also it feels like a lot of sacrifice and i think the way to bring folks along urgently and at scale is to make it easy to understand and, uh, and, and break it into very easy actions. The more, the easier, uh, the better and meet folks where they are, because if not, we're just going to be aspirational and folks will read about living in a small house in a magazine, you know, and then, and then go back to everything being normal day to day. So what we really try to focus on, whether it's our physical office space, as we discussed at the beginning, or the culture of how we work is to allow everyone to participate in this idea of how do we flip ideas on their head and, and not assume that any static assumption is the case? And can they all be challenged? And in the world of waste, which is generally relatively uninnovative, uh, there's a phenomenal amount of opportunity to unlock uh, uh, in doing thinking in that way. It's funny you say that because we just right now, we, we've, we've launched what we call the internal incubator here at Taco Bell. And we, we ask people in groups of about 50 or 60 to... Uh, be a part of a team that's going to look at a specific challenge. And one of them was, how do we uh, continue this great culture at Taco Bell after COVID and coming back to the office? And how do we recreate? Uh, One was around the value proposition on our menu. One was on social purpose. How do we make a bigger difference? And we've basically handed that brief to a bunch of employees of all different uh, levels and the the ideas that we have generated have we they never would have been generated through kind of the normal process of running a corporation and it sounds like you do much of the same I, I, absolutely i think it's also exciting i'm sure the yes. teammates who took part you know it was invigorating there's a lot about creating that space i think is 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 really uh, quite important because gosh you know everyone's working really hard uh, COVID is making you know folks work even harder under significantly higher pressure environments, and a big part about I think the future is we have to invent it and bring it out by being creative and then allowing ideas to fail and evolve. Right? Yeah. I think that's a big part. Is you know I've seen many corporations, you know, say hey we're gonna you know innovate, but then they don't leave room for failure, and that's not necessarily going to allow the juices to flow. And it's yeah. if if that space is created. And people feel like they can test ideas and they don't have to work right out of the gate. That is that is the fundamental recipe for fierce innovation. Yeah, beautiful. Hey, big question for you. Yeah. What does the future of the world look like? I mean, you know, we, we just all these things that we do as human beings right now, having this negative impact on our planet. What do you think the future is? Can we fix it, I guess, is the question. It's a very good question. And, you know, when you look at it on the surface, it can feel very dark, uh, whether it's what's happening with the environment, uh, uh, with what we're living through with the pandemic, you know, even politics, what's happening in in, uh, Afghanistan, for example, just as we're speaking right now. There's a lot of... um, not so good news on our news feeds. I imagine it doesn't matter what news feed one is, one is looking at, and that can feel very, very down. I think what is exciting though is people, what I've always noticed you know, uh, is, is, is folks uh, and humanity at large, sometimes it's at its very best when it's in the highest pressure situations. And that gives me a lot of optimism because we can evolve and change in the way we are. And I think the big question that we're gonna be faced, the fundamental answer to sustainability is really our relationship to the idea of buying stuff. Think about the past hundred years, right? From our grandparents to where we are today, 
100 years ago, our great grandparents or grandparents, if they may be alive, bought literally 10 times less stuff than uh, we purchased yeah. today. And they were just as happy, I imagine, perhaps even more happy because you don't have to take care of all that stuff and store it and deal with it. And it's this huge hyperconsumption that has that has created the environmental issue. You know, we talked earlier about how the environmental topic is complex. You know, uh, there's many issues. It's not just climate change or waste. There are so many things and they're connected where you'd maybe do some good here. But then how does it, you know, uh, affect negatively somewhere else? But every environmental challenge is brought about by us voting for that, by purchasing more stuff and how much of that stuff is really necessary. Mm -hmm. I think that is gonna be the key question for us to uh, think about because if we buy less stuff, we may not have to work as much. We may have more time to spend with family, with friends, creating you know, new ways of thinking and so on. And not just on you know, sort of the consumerist uh, hamster wheel, which was created really in you know, the 1950s and has been the idea you know, ever since, but not that long if you take it into, you know, the context of human history. And there's many folks around, you know, still today who grew up in a world that prized timelessness, uh, durability, where the idea of the milkman was still a thing. I grew up with the milkman Tuesday, yeah. Thursday, and Saturdays, six quarts of milk in the little milk thing. Yep. Well, Mark, let me ask you, right? Like, uh, did you ever cobble your shoes? <laughs> I did not. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I fixed a lot of things as a kid, as my dad fixed everything. Right. right. That's the thing. Today, you know, if, uh, you know, back, back before, you know, shoe cobbling was a big thing, mending a clothing, yeah. fixing, you know, uh, a piece of furniture. It's not as much today. Yeah. And, and it should be because, frankly, then, you know, we also will be enjoying higher quality, durable goods. Yeah. Fascinating, Tom. First, I just want to applaud you for your efforts in trying to make the world a better place and maybe even save our world. So we need more people like you as an executive and part of a company, Yum and Taco Bell, we are really committed to, to doing our part. And I think it comes and we're going to do a lot of changes around sustainability inside our building, uh, much like you have with yours. It probably won't be as cool, but we're, we're going to follow well, the let same us come kind and make of an path. office for you, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and we really look forward to our partnership with TerraCycle. So thank you for everything. Well, um, thank you sincerely for, for all. We look forward really to bringing some amazing innovations together. And I hope the world notices and uh, it's going to be an amazing journey. Can't wait yeah. to launch. So I just asked you maybe the heaviest question you've ever been asked, well, you know, what's the future of the world? Now yeah. I'm going to ask you the easiest question of all, yeah. which is, we ask everyone on the show, what is your favorite Taco Bell go-to item? So I'm a big fan of, I mean, frankly, honestly, anything that is vegetarian, I try it all and I love absolutely everything. Well, that is a hell of an answer. So we can't go wrong. So no, really no, and I have to tell you, Taco Bell is one of the, uh, the few places as a vegetarian, I can actually go. You know, I, I have to say that it's, uh, it's not easy especially in, uh, in faster serve restaurants and find a good meal as a vegetarian. And for me, uh, it absolutely makes it a go-to place. Well, then you're going to love the future of Taco Bell because we're making a bigger commitment to vegetarian as we go forward. So uh, we'll take well, thank good you. care of you. I look Tom, forward to thank it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Real pleasure. I'd like to take this time to thank everyone for listening to this episode. If you are craving more, which I'm sure you are, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, follow Taco Bell's LinkedIn page, and check out my LinkedIn page for more. See you next time.